Welcome to Success with Style, everyone. I'm Rob Giardinelli. I'm Lance Avery Morgan. And today we have the very talented David Peck. Thank you for having me. David, Dave, David Peck is the designer of, of Miles David. Yes, the founder of the founder and chief creative head of officer, everything as my head of know. everything of Miles David. Yes. So David is what I would call the insider's designer. So many of the state's top sociables love wearing his clothes. We've been to things where people have been honored, where they've insisted he's performed. So we're really honored to have you here today. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. We're so glad you're here, David. And so you started your love of, let's just say the performing arts, which also includes design, because I think design is a performing art. It is. It's when like it's being on, on that stage, runway, right? Yeah. Tell us about your very beginnings. Oh, we could go way far back. Well, I think I always liked having the spotlight a little bit, so that's probably would tell you something. Um, but I never knew that I wanted to be a designer as a kid. I didn't, I grew up in New Mexico and Colorado, so I didn't have a lot of people around me that were doing that, or I, I didn't even realize it was a profession really. But I taught myself to sew when I was 11 because I was just, I was always teaching myself to do something. And that was one of the things that I, I wanted curtains for th my room in this new house. And so I learned how to make them and so it kind of wow. was always there. And then I ended up going through a whole music degree before I decided that I was going to be. Back to design. Yeah. Wow. So it sounds like you create things out of nothing. That, that's kind of, uh, yes, I'm really good at creating something out of nothing. I'm really scrappy that way. I good. Think. I love it. I, I don't think enough designers are scrappy enough. Well, you know, sometimes when you have a big budget, it's great, but you kind of do what's expected. And I feel like I'm most creative when I have to kind of figure it out. We're always, I mean, this past week has just been every day trying to figure it out because somebody wants a specific fabric and we don't have enough. And like, how do you make it work? And like all of this. And so every day I'm having to do it. So I love my job. Um, I started out with a very small, well, if we're starting about my career here in Houston, I started with um, a very small collection of five dresses and it sort of took off and places like Tootsie started carrying it and we did very, very well. And then it kind of evolved into what it is today. Mm -hmm. fantastic. fantastic. So how did you, let's go back a little bit ways if we can. How did you earn your first dollar? My first dollar? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Well, yeah, that's a good question. Legitimate. Legitimate, Legitimate dollar. Well, yeah. <laughs> let's I will keep say it clean. It's a family it, it show. It may not have been. Um, <laughs> Uh, actual money changing hands but one of the first jobs that I had in high school was that I um, cleaned stables um, when we lived in Colorado because I really wanted to ride and so um, did you I, compete in, in riding? I did I did pony club and did three day eventing when I was in high school in fact that was I keep thinking I was going to have many careers in my life and so riding was one of them you know I you I was, can have some hobbies right you know you don't have I to know. earn a living at all these things well see my, my ultimate goal is like you know you can still ride horses and be in the Olympics when you're like 60 so I figure that I have some time so Absolutely. I'm yeah. buy my way into it I, I can love still that. get there I love that um, that's so smart I just have to find a good horse and then I'll be all set. Right. So I, I worked in order to pay for riding lessons and to be able to ride horses. And so that was really my first job. But my, my first like proper retail job was at Bass Shoe Stores. So I. Oh my God, the Weegeons. The Weegeons, yes. Oh, a classic. So lots of Weegeons. Yeah. They had that very distinct. Weijin smell. Right. Isn't that something? Did you yeah. like the tassels best or the penny loafer? I liked the penny loafer best because I, I, when I was a kid, I remember getting them and putting the pennies in. And I was that. Oh, so you mean that was one of the things you created yourselves, yourself? No. You and you I literally put them in? Yeah, you put the penny yeah. inside the loafer. It had the little slot, and yeah. you, like, put the penny in the slot. Right. And you, like, get it. You'd always try to find a really special penny to put in there. And 
Oh, that's cool. So, see, yeah. I, I, I wasn't that creative. I put it in a dime because I thought, oh. how can I be different? Well, see, you, you were different. I wasn't. And I, but I wasn't looking for rare pennies like you were. So you took oh, I that just like, to the, you know, like a buffalo nickel. Or right. not the, a nickel, but the, yeah. the wheat penny. Yeah. Or oh, okay. Yeah. Those were rare. Yeah. So Now we're, you'd be hard-pressed to find a penny. Yeah, that's true. Right? You know, guys, I'm one of those people who, when I walk down the street, I'm always looking for loose change. Oh, really? I always feel lucky, right? So it's, and then it usually appears. Like, I've had a $20 bill blow up and get caught on my shoelaces. Oh, that's really good luck. It's super luck. But now people don't use change, so they don't have it to drop out of their pockets, so they're not leaving it behind for me to collect. This is true. So yeah, it's saying. all di- So you got to figure out how to, like, do the digital loose change. Like <laughs> that's how right. How you collect that's that. Right. That's There's exactly got to right. be an app for that. I, yeah, I'd like that, too. I think yeah. that's all Bitcoin, right? Secret that's currency. That's true, pretty yeah. Much. yeah. I, though I think my investment <laughs> in Bitcoin right now is like... Mm. <laughs> I think a lot of people's <laughs> are. I know. If only we had known, right? Yeah. Discovering I, the next big thing. So you did a lot of creative stuff. Yes. All growing up, what made you decide fashion was the right lane? That's, again, a very good question, and it was never very direct. So when I was getting my music degree, so I have a degree in classical cello, I also worked, and I was working at Ralph Lauren. I started in sales and ended up in visual merchandising. Great training. Yeah, it was fantastic, and I loved it. I did windows, and um, I was always really good at dressing the mannequins and all of that. So... um, when I decided that I didn't want to be a musician, I just realized I wasn't honestly good enough to be what I wanted to do with music, and I didn't want to be a frustrated musician. I decided, okay, I need to do something else, and the two things I was kind of interested in was design and then or being an actor. And I kind of figured acting was the same thing as being a musician. It was going to be that kind of life, and I was like, I don't really know if I'm up for that. Design is better. <laughs> Because wow. it's so stable. You're so funny not. about needing three meals a day, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. well, you know, but I mean, the fashion <laughs> industry is like not the most stable. That's so true, too. I had no idea. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, design <laughs> being stable. That's yeah. a first for me. I think, yeah, it's not. So um, that's really where it all came from was, and I had some really good friends who had seen some of my sketchbooks and they're like, why aren't you doing something with this? And so one of my teachers at school, music school, her best friend was an art teacher at a local community college and she said, you really should talk to my friend Jackie and see you know what she thinks and what you should do to prepare a portfolio and all of that and so I ended up taking some studio art classes and putting a portfolio together and applying to Parsons Paris because I'd always wanted to live abroad and so that was like one of my main stipulations about if I'm going to do another degree and I'm going to go through this whole thing I want to have that experience of living abroad and Paris was the city I'd always wanted to live in. It's a great city to be young and ambitious in. It is. It yeah. really, really is. And just to see, I always feel that walking in Paris, you every block you walk is more beautiful than the one you just pass. It and is. There's consistent so m- beauty. Yeah, there's so much history. I mean, Rome is even like crazier that way because it's yes. so so tiny and like all these little streets, and then you come up on the Trevi Fountain. And but Paris has that sense of like grandeur and beauty and like all the little hidden things mm-hmm. and everything's very. It's been there forever, and so it's yeah. had the time to like patina and age, and it's not so new and shiny. Right, or the people there. Yeah. They're not so new and shiny either. Well, that too. There are, but <laughs> what's way, amazing about that, that city is that there's so many active people of an older generation on the streets. And yeah. I feel like that's really inspiring to be able to see that in your everyday life, to see their lives. Which kind of, I've got several questions about Paris. but So that le- leads me to street style. Are you attracted to street style? Are you inspired or influenced by what you see in you know, Paris there, and beyond? I, I do think that 
they're especially Parisian, like true street style. There's something to be learned for it because they're the closets aren't big, you know, right. for the most part. I mean, they're unless practical. you're for, yeah, yeah. So it's a very practical wardrobe and also very creative. So mm-hmm. the pieces that they choose are meaningful and they have, you know, some sort of history behind them. And I feel like that is something that as let's say Americans, we don't appreciate as much, you know, it's, I'm very much against the whole fast fashion thing. Um, But having really special pieces in your wardrobe that you can kind of mix and match and wear for a really long time that you really, you develop a sense of personal style. I think that is very interesting. If we're talking about true street style, I mean, it's always interesting to see the pictures of the bloggers and everybody around fashion week, Mm -hmm. because there's always, you know, something very interesting to look at. I don't think it, always translates to real life, especially maybe in Houston. Right. Um, but it's fun to look at. So I, I look at a lot of different things and I feel like you absorb it and it comes out somehow, some way. Absolutely. Yeah. So you, we were talking about the competition component with playing cello. I would think that Parsons Paris is pretty competitive too. How did that go? It was, but you know, the way that Parsons Paris was run was very much like a European atelier. Like it's very creative and hands-on there was a lot of making mm-hmm. um so there i feel like i really learned how clothes were constructed from the inside out Great. there um the new york school is fantastic but it has a very different approach it's much more geared towards sort of the mass market or uh, you know where, where a lot of the the jobs are mm-hmm. in america sure. if you think that and it makes sense whereas paris is really training you for jobs in sort of luxury fashion houses and so that was really interesting so yes there was some competition but because the class was so small we each had our own distinct personality and I feel like we had the the space to actually explore that Mm -hmm. like it wasn't so cutthroat we weren't all trying to find the the same job Um, we really all wanted to do different things and if I look at my classmates now we're literally on every part of the globe and you keep in touch with them uh, yeah. Not as well as I should, but through, okay. you know, social media helps. Yeah. So we, wow. every once in a while, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's what you're doing. And, you know, there, uh, there's a couple of people who I, I do stay very close to, but um, we always keep in touch and see what everyone's doing. And it's, it's really cool to see that we all had basically the same education, but we've done something completely different with, us, with it. So while, while we're on the subject of social media, how has that helped influence your brand? Well, it's one of those things that I think almost everybody has a love-hate relationship with. It's it, it's such a powerful tool. Um, for the most part, it's free. Um, <laughs> though they do make businesses pay a little bit more to do certain things. Um, it has had a really big impact. I think over time, growing an authentic following um, and people who interact, and I've even seen in the past year just... Um, how much I'm able to interact with customers. Um, Instagram stories has been really interesting just Mm. to see. um, I'm so bad at social media, actually. Like, I have to force myself to do it um, because I know it's good, but my first inclination is never to pull out my phone and do it. I have to, like, remind myself. But when I do, and I try to be as real and as honest as I can about what's good, what's bad, if I'm tired or whatever, and especially on stories, I get so much feedback from people, and I feel like that is... It's creating relationships in a way that don't necessarily happen in real life anymore mm-hmm. because we're so busy. Right. And well, people get a slice of who you are, yeah. even if they're not your current client, but they're aspirational, but they get to see the world of David Pack. 
For sure. And that I think is really important. And, you know, when you start to trust somebody and you know their voice and you can kind of see who it's not just a pretty picture, you understand who's behind it. I feel like it makes it easier to buy, you know, because we're, we're not producing inexpensive things and you have to have a certain level of trust there, Mm -hmm. you know, like why would I give you that much money if Mm -hmm. I don't know the qualities there or integrity behind the design or the manufacturing or all of that. Um, And I feel like social media can give people a glimpse into that, Mm -hmm. Um, you know? Yeah. I love pretty pictures too. So, sure. So it's interesting that you talk about reputation and, you know, for people who are aspiring out there today, Tell us a little bit about your first, you know, your first big get from a, from a client perspective in terms of design. Oh, wow. There's been so many, I think, moments where I feel like, oh, wow, we, we did something really cool. But I, I guess the one that always sticks out because she's still <laughs> relevant on a national, international scale is that um, when I was living in New York, we dressed Taylor Swift. Uh-huh. Um, sure. And it, start, it was one of those things that we didn't even know was really happening at the time. We knew we'd sent some things out for a shoot that was happening. To her reps or... Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah with her stylist. Yeah. And, you know, you always send things out and, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm sending, you know, all of these clothes and you just never know if they're going to end up somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but we sent it for this cover shoot for Bliss Magazine, which is basically like a, a teen pop magazine in the UK. Um, it ended up being the cover story and feature, so she was like on the cover of the magazine, which was really cool. But then somehow, the, all of the images from that shoot ended up being all of her promotional pictures from for her whole stadium tour. So like there were wow. buses with like our dress like on the side of. So great. Know, yeah. Wow, that's incredible. So, uh, tell us about that relation. On that same note, so ev- even if Taylor is not a personal client, or if she right. is great. How important is that client designer relationship and that there's a real trust and intimacy that has to occur? It is. I feel like especially what we do now, because we have a small boutique where people can come and shop mm-hmm. um, and there's things that are on the racks and you can you know buy it and take it. But a lot of what we do now is custom and we make things to order. And especially for special occasions, you know, if you're spending a certain amount, um, you don't want to see everyone else in the same dress around town. Um, And so having that relationship with the clients to know that, you know, they can't see the finished product before they pay for the the thing, um, to know that we're going to do something that they love, you know, does require a lot of trust and kind of, you know, getting to know them, you know, and so that's really important because there it's usually a very special occasion, whether it's a gala or in many cases a wedding mm-hmm. where it's, a, you know, a huge moment in your life and you want to make sure that this thing turns out and you look like the best version of yourself. And you feel good. And you feel People good. People want to feel beautiful. Women yeah. want to feel beautiful. So having, getting to know the client before we even start anything is so important, like understanding what makes them feel comfortable like you know I always try to ask when you have worn something in the past like what has made you feel good you know Um, because that's so important especially when it's a big day like a wedding and we dress a lot of mothers Um, you know you need to feel comfortable but you're a lot of times you know the host of the wedding and you need to be greeting people it needs to be functional Mm -hmm. you want to be able to have fun after you know so everyone has different needs some people are like I don't care what I feel like as long as I look good and I'll be willing to squeeze be squeezed into anything I don't understand that but Mm -hmm. but but there are people who that's their top priority and for other people like I need to look really good but if I'm not comfortable 
I will be miserable. Mm-hmm. And so kind of gauging what their priorities are, we try to you know, make sure all of those things. So do you have a creative dossier and you, you have lots of questions similar to what you're we, th- sharing I, now? There's probably a standard list of questions, but a lot of times it's very intuitive with talking to them and kind of getting to know them and their body language and you know, there's a lot of psychology. I feel like Absolutely. I should have a degree in psychology. So you probably do. Yeah. It's just not, it's just know, not official. on paper. Yeah. Um, wow. Or getting paid for it. So, right. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So how do you, because that's a pretty wide range of types of garments you're, you're designing. Yeah. How do you reflect your personality and your voice within the clothing with that type of range? I think now it's intuitive. It, it really is after doing it for so long that it, it just sort of becomes your own design language. So even if you're doing a simple sheath dress, it's like the fabric you choose or the color or the way you place a seam. It, it's not anything that you can kind of like write down as a formula, but it's sort of this, it's like a painter or whatever. Like how do you recognize like what that is? I feel like that's what we've developed. And even like the people who work for me in the studio, like they'll know, they're like, oh, that doesn't look very us. And you know, so like when we make certain decisions, like, "Mm, I don't know, like, oh, that fabric's really beautiful, but I don't think that that's something Mm -hmm. that we would use or that, you know, and a lot of times it's, it's based on, you know, client feedback. And so it's, it's a two way, you know, a lot of what I design now is a reflection of the clients that we have and vice versa. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, you try to push them a little and then you also want to respond to what their needs and wants are. So when you were growing up, did you have any movie star idols that you even like from way back that you really thought, oh, my gosh, if I could only give the world my vision or my version of what that person would wear? Any Anyone like that? I don't that? know that I ever thought about it in terms of dressing somebody per se, but I think because I always wanted to be an actor, mm-hmm. um, that there were people that I emulated. Like I just wanted to be Cary Grant. I just thought he Get was- Get in line. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, and then I think Catherine Hepburn was somebody who just always, there was a wit about her. An not, effortless style. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, I, th- I really loved how, I mean, now I would degri- describe it as feminism, but um, at the time I didn't realize that's what it was. But this, this inner strength of kind of like being herself um, was really impactful. Um, and just being able to articulate with words and being, you know, all those movies with Spencer Tracy and being able to spar with him. Like there was so much power in that. Um, and, and look it, beautiful and still be feminine. Yeah. Right. And I think that was something that was, I, I even look back at that now and I feel like of all the people, like I love Audrey Hepburn too, but like mm-hmm. it's it's very different. I, but I feel like Catherine Hepburn is just- The other Hepburn. A, yeah, the yeah. other Hepburn. Right. Um, there was an effortlessness to it. Well, you though. probably know that story that Hubert de Givenchy thought he was dressing Catherine yeah. Hepburn when Audrey Which Hepburn Which is why you up. took the meeting and Which then- Which is incredible. Yeah. yeah. Happy accidents. <laughs> well, it changed both their lives. It did. It changed the trajectory yeah. of both of their style lives for sure. Exactly. Oh, and I think there are two, it's funny that there's- the, I, the two Hepburns that really set the standard for style in so many ways and very differently. Right. That's a really good right. point. And, yeah. And speaking of Catherine, you need to watch, have you seen the um, Dick Cavett episode that no. he interviewed her? It's on Amazon prime. You need to, oh, I'll have you to would love it. to watch that. You've okay, gotta, cool. You've got to Was she that. older and like, it, it was like in the seventies. So yeah, okay. she was, she shows up a day age. early for sound check 
And she's like, well, let's just do this right now. <laughs> so they happen to have, you know, everything so there. Dick Cavett is not in, I mean, nothing. I mean, he's like in a sports shirt. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's so cool. So he's not even his signature double breasted. That's so and cool. And they just let her rip for two or three And it hours. was like, yeah, it was a couple hours. It was like two episodes. Like it just it kept was going. So oh, wow. Cool. You got to check a, it out. It's on Amazon. I'm going to have to yeah. watch yeah. that. All those old talk shows, Dick Cavett, um, um, Merv Griffin. I mean, it's just talk about style. Right yeah. guest that came on back then. Well, it's it's very different. I mean, now, I mean, the whole thing, it was always a business, but it's a different type of business now mm-hmm. where brands are dressing celebrities to promote a certain thing. And But I feel like the studio system also was doing that back in the day where you're creating an image and crafting an image and, you know, making somebody appear something. And it really does work. You know, now we have a, def- a different version of it, but it you know, creating images and telling stories. I feel like that's what I do. Like, how do you, let's talk about that for a second if we can. How do you feel about the casualness that things have gotten to? I, again, a love-hate relationship because I'm working so hard all the time in the studio. I'm constantly on the floor and like, I mean, wearing nice clothes is actually hard for me on a day-to-day basis just because I'm, I don't know, and I ruin them and I sweat too much and it's just like, not practical but then I also feel great when I have something that's well made and tailored and so I I really Mm -hmm. appreciate it Um, but in my life it's really hard because it's not always practical I feel like casualness you can still look good and I feel like when you put the attention and care into having a particular style then it could be a casual fabric but you still look chic and effortless and I think that's maybe where people get confused um, you don't, if you buy nice things, if you buy things that are cut well or out of good fabrics, they can be really comfortable, but they can still look very glamorous and effortless. It doesn't have to be, you know, you have to be squeezed into a, you know, chic dress or something. Right. Like that. You can actually be comfortable gotcha. and still look well presented. Got it. I think that's smart. I mean, Houston's a dressy town. It is. It Texas is. can be a very dressy state when it wants to be. It's so it's true. interesting, but it just seems like the, the casualness feels uh, I'm gonna go out on a limb here. Kind of disrespectful to the venue. Well, I feel like the there's occasion. a time and a place yeah, for everything, exactly. and people need to understand. Like, who's the audience? What's it? Make sure doing a little research is always appropriate. I feel like and do your homework. Right? Yeah, Most yeah. People don't do their homework. There's Google now. There for is, anything. and even like when people <laughs> go to other cities, because we see this all the time. Yeah. You know, the way you dress in Austin may not be the way you dress in Dallas. Exactly. May not be the way you dress in Houston. May not be the way or you dress even in New York, San Antonio. Yeah. Or, or New York or outside LA. of the state, yeah. I think LA and Texas have a lot of style similarities. Sort of there a is a lot. Casual. So if a if a if a woman's wearing a tank in LA, it's probably a six hundred dollar Prada tank. Whereas here, right. it may or may not be. Could be, but like maybe not. So it's just interesting. But it seems like the vibe sort of matches. I think more and more the younger generation or and younger can be defined as I don't know anywhere below 60 or something there is more of an LA vibe mm-hmm. and I which I think stems from practicality too because it gets so hot here that like yeah. that's another thing. That's right. Like how do you I don't understand when I look back at pictures of like Houston in the 40s and the 50s when there wasn't central air conditioning and all these things and like women are in all of these corsets and girdles and like layers and they have a sweater on I'm like it just you know suffocating. I think that was part of the female oppression. Yeah, I I mean literally being bound. It's, It's true. It's unfortunate. Yeah. Do you listen to the dressed podcast? I don't. 
you should listen okay. to it. It's awesome. It's the history of fashion, and it's told by two fashion historians at FIT. Oh, wow. And they interview lots of really interesting people, and they, they talk about That'd that, actually. They talk about the whole, like, kind of liberation in the 20s, but then the reoppression of women back, you know, coming back. And With Dior and the corsets and yeah. all the just all the accoutrement, if you will. Yeah, and there's, like, so much going on politically and socially that kind of right. ties into how people dressed themselves. And well, if that's the case very in these political times, how are people dressing themselves? That's really interesting. Um, we do get several people coming in wanting to be dressed like certain political figures, wives okay. or political mm -hmm. figures, which is always interesting, hmm. even if they're not of their political persuasion. Oh, which that's is really So someone would say, yeah. all right, dress me like Nancy Pelosi, for instance. Not, not well, her, not but, Nancy, but an but example but of a Well, let's say figure. Melania, for instance. Mm -hmm. People will come in and say, and I'll know that that person isn't necessarily her biggest fan, mm -hmm. um, but it's interesting that that still has, uh, you know, an, an impact on how people would want to dress. Well, that's an impactful or, role. Yeah. Or Meghan Markle has been another big one. Like even, you know, we were doing a Mother of the Bride right now and she wanted a dress that was similar to Meghan Markle's second wedding dress. It's like, because she saw it and that was very, you know, impactful. Does that help or her. hinder your design process? It's always nice when there's a starting gotcha. point. Like, um, it, whether it's either a fabric or a color or a silhouette because it's something somebody is gravitating towards. Sometimes it's really tricky when somebody has no idea and no starting point. So it's like, it takes a while to kind of get to that thing of like, okay, this is how you want to feel. Um, you may not even ever end up with what the right. inspiration is, but at least it gives you a conversation so starter. And what's the easiest way then you think to get somebody unstuck who's really kind of like, I've got this big thing and I just don't know what to do. Well, what I tell them a lot of times is Pinterest is a really great tool, speaking of social media, is pin things that you really, really like, not necessarily that you think will look good on you. Because a lot of times, if you play with proportion, if you play with color, if you play with all of these things, you can almost make anything work for any body type. So if you collect these things, I can usually look at the totality of somebody's Pinterest board and be like, oh, I see these reoccurring themes. You may not have seen mm -hmm. them, but these are the things I, that are jumping out to me as being what you're drawn to. Right. Like a higher like, waist because it's more complimentary yeah. for someone, perhaps. Or, or a certain color or a motif or like something with a sleeve or like, oh, this person really likes, you know, minimalism. Like everything has like a graphic quality mm -hmm. to it. Um, so you can kind of narrow it down. And so that really helps when you're creating something from scratch or even trying to just find something off the rack. Like this is your own sense of style. Right. So one thing that we've noticed in the ballroom for the last couple of seasons is a real tr trend toward more dark and somber gowns. Well, I think a lot of that is practicality because I don't know about Austin, but here there's so many events mm -hmm. that if you wear something that's really noticeable, it, it, you feel like you might not be able to wear it again or wear it again soon. Okay. So if you wear a darker color or something that's a little bit more subdued, you feel like you have the opportunity to maybe wear it Got again it. without people noticing. I thought it was reflective, more reflective of the political scenario. It could be that yeah. too. It, it very could be a reflection of the times. I think, but that's also like a practical because people are very concerned about what is the economy going right. to do. And frankly, a lot of our clients don't need to really sure. worry about what's going. I mean, yeah. a few points yeah. here and there mm -hmm. is really not going to affect their lives. But 
it really does affect you psychologically and how much you feel you can spend. So even if technically you could spend the money, you don't have that urge to because you feel there's something that's holding mm-hmm. you back. And so when you do spend a significant amount of money on something to wear, you're going to be like, I need to have some use to for that. And we end up doing a lot of evening separates for that reason oh, because you matchy. can break them up. Yeah, right. it can look like a yeah. gown. It's all the same fabrics, but it... Uh, no one would ever know, but then you can break it off and you can wear this as a skirt and you can wear that as a top and you oh, can, you know, smart. we could, yeah, and that may, is a really easy way to create sort of a capsule wardrobe collection that, you know, you're investing in, but it, it's it's really easy to wear. Right. So what fabrics are you loving these days for evening wear? Well, we have this fantastic new supplier that we just started working with, I guess about six or nine months mm-hmm. ago. They're based in Spain and they supply Dior, Valentino, Gucci, Chanel. So we have access to a lot of the same fabrics that these houses are pulling from. uh, And we can order directly from them and we kind of can order just enough for a gown if that's what we want. Um, So we have Chanel tweeds and things like that, which are really, really fun to work with. The quality of the fabrics are amazing. So this company has been like, we just can't stop using it. It's Congratulations. Yeah. That sounds like an incredible resource to have for a lifetime it is. of we're design. The, no it is. We're the only ones in Houston well, who have that. mention so. them because no one needs to know about that. Yeah. No, I won't tell okay. you the name, yeah. but it's there. <laughs> That's great. We, we have them. You can come find so them at our tell studio. Tell us what's next for Miles David and David Peck. Oh, goodness. Well, we just got off of our best month oh, congratulations. ever. Congratulations. By wow. a long shot. Um, so that is really exciting. So we, are, we have some really big weddings coming up in December that we have to finish some gowns we are doing several chairs of the opera events this year so the chair of um, the concert of arias in february and then also the opera ball chair later in the spring so that's really fun um, and the opera and ball then is, hi- is white tie right it so is it's, hi- it's white, white tie, tie yeah white tie. so that's and we were fortunate to dress last year's yes, chair and it was that. so mm-hmm. fun um yeah i think you guys had a mm-hmm. picture um so that that's kind of like on in terms of that. And then I have also joined the board of an art school in China called PS1, oh. which is really interesting because I went to China for the first time in August to do some intensive workshops in Beijing and um, Chongqing, which mm-hmm. is another town in, uh, I say town, it's 31 million people. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's like another well, Manhattan. Out of 1.2 million Chicago, people. Right. Well, no, Manhattan is like I 9 know. million. And crazy? so this is like yeah. almost four times. So like It's so, so crazy. The scale of everything in China is, is mind-blowing. Yeah. Um, and I was literally the only non-Chinese person I saw for six days in that city. Beijing's much more international, yes. but this city is like, I was literally the only one. Hmm. Um, but I've, I've started working with them, and it's really cool. So I'll travel to China several times a year to do workshops Wonderful. and mentor students. And then also I work with students remotely who are looking to go to Western art schools and then help them with their curriculums and programs and developing Well, I think the future is very bright for David Peck and Miles Davis. I do. And before we go, um, I wanted to ask one final question. That is, what would you, what's the one piece of advice you would give to a new emerging designer just starting out? I think the biggest thing that I would say for anybody who is looking at design or looking at having their own business is really think about the product that you want to sell. Because... The traditional method of like looking at a big collection and debuting that, you know, twice a year and all of that, it doesn't necessarily work as well mm-hmm. as it used to. And it's a so different think model of, now, right? It's a very much a different model. And even big department stores are really trying to figure out how do they make their business sustainable. Yeah. And it's a hard, it's really, really hard speaking about, you know, 
sustainability and fashion and like st- stability as well as sustainability. Right. Anyway, so I would really ask them to look at what is the product that you can make that makes a difference and that you can kind of put your own spin on and start there. Be really kind of focused and myopic about that. And then from there you can grow and you know do more things and you can branch out but don't try to do a whole collection at once it's just too much it's too much to manage um, and it's not good business wise so I feel like that's just something it's very hard to do when you're a creative person but it, if you can focus then focus you'll be focus much more focus success. yeah wow that's so great well smart design by David Peck Absolutely. I think that could be your next line <laughs> yeah why not well David this is this has really been great we really appreciate you joining us here today so downtown much fun. Houston at the so Hotel talented. Alessandra I know this is this is my first time here and it's so a beautiful, beautiful place yeah. so we're here at the Hotel Alessandra which is the chicest hotel I've been in a long time certainly it's really beautiful so tell us your um, website information so that people can find you as well so the it's very easy so everything is shop miles with an I david.com or at shop miles david on all the things okay good all the social things that you're you've gotten really good at being (laughs) trying to (laughs) you can find me most often on Instagram I'm pretty good at and what's your Instagram handle same, Shop, Shop Miles, Miles David. David. Everything friends, is Shop Miles David. Yeah, yeah so we are. Fun. Okay, good. Well, thanks everyone for joining us today. And this is Rob Giardinelli signing off for Success with Style. And I'm David and I'm Peck. Lance Avery Morgan. And we will see you all next time on Success with Style. And lastly, just reminding you that great style starts simply by having a unique point of view. Have a great day. Great day.